In this first hour today, author and pastor Joyce Holliday on the history of self-immolation as an extreme, perhaps the ultimate tactic of protest in the campaign for peace and justice. You all know, we've discussed it a couple times on this program, uh, we all saw the, the, the story that made uh, not just national but international news when that active military officer in front of the Israeli embassy um, set himself on fire, doused himself uh, and engaged in a protest act of self-immolation. We've had some fascinating dialogues, as I said, about that on this program, including a conversation where one of our guests, uh, Treaty Parsi, uh, Treaty Parsi, as I recall, uh, made a powerful point about the fact that the media seemed to, so many in the media seemed to play that uh, as a, as a, a case of mental illness. Uh, indeed, when a number of networks, including MSNBC, reported the story on the screen, they had, as you often see, that suicide hotline. And that's not really what this was. Um, this was an act of defiance. As I said, um, uh, there's a history to self-immolation as uh, a tactic of protest. And that's exactly what he was doing when you combine his act with his words, calling what he saw in uh, uh, Gaza, uh, in Palestine, as genocide. Um, but the media tried to play it one way, but that's really not that w- what, it, what it really was. And there is a history of self-immolation uh, as an act, as I said earlier, an extreme act of protest. I want to get to that in just a moment for the hour with our guest, um, Joyce Holiday. Before I do that, though, let me just uh, announce to you what is already in the press today. It broke earlier today, uh, but we are very pleased and humbled and just grateful uh, that this program, which has now been in national syndication, we've been syndicated around the country just about six months now, not even quite six months, but just about six months. And we announced today, uh, drum roll please, we announced today that uh, we have expanded this program uh, into uh, some other major markets. And this is a big deal to be in syndication for less than uh, six months. And to be syndicated uh, today in New York City. And so we welcome WHCR 90.3 FM in New York City. That's Harlem Community Radio. Delighted to be heard in the coming days on WHCR 90.3 FM in the Big Apple. We also announced today the nation's capital. We ain't playing, y'all. WOL 14 AM AM. We are now heard on WOL uh, in the nation's capital uh, it's not just those two major markets, though. We're adding places like Milwaukee, WNOV, 860 AM in Milwaukee. We're adding places like Des Moines. Uh, of course, this whole campaign started in Des Moines, in Iowa, the state, as it always does. KJMC, 89.3 FM in Des Moines. And so we just announced today a number of stations. I just want to give you uh, a highlight of some of those. But again, to be in syndication for less than six months and to now have secured successfully uh, spots uh, in the nation's top three media markets. We, of course, are in L.A. Uh, today we're adding New York City, and we have been on for a while now in Chicago. Those are the three biggest markets in this country, New York, L.A., and Chicago. And so we've added New York City today, and that's a big deal. So our, our rapid and continued expansion into key media markets represents, we think, an exciting new chapter in the story of this radio program. And as we move deeper into the 2024 election season, uh, we will continue to do our best to provide our base, our listener base, with enlightening and empowering programming unapologetically. 
geared toward people of color, certainly African-Americans. And so we are delighted to announce today that we have added New York City. Uh, we have added Washington, D.C. We have added Milwaukee. We've added Des Moines and more uh, other stations you can read about. If you go to our platforms and check out our press release. But welcome, New York. Welcome, Washington, D.C. Welcome, Des Moines. Welcome, Milwaukee and all the others. Uh, that are now carrying the Tavis Smiley Show around this country. Just wanted to just take a moment uh, to acknowledge those stations and to thank them for the honor of being heard across their airwaves and these markets all across the nation. This program is growing, and we thank you for being a part of that uh, that audience. When we come forward, we'll commence our conversation about uh, self-immolation as an act of protest in uh, the campaign. Uh, for peace and justice in this country and around the globe. You are listening, and I'm glad about it, to Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, 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 this is Tavis Smiley. A fresh daily in the Merck Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. You are indeed, and I'm pleased to have you on uh, in our listening audience today. It's going to be a great show, and we start in this hour, as I mentioned, with author and pastor George Holliday, to talk about the history of self-immolation as an extreme tactic in the campaign for peace. George Holliday, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. I hope you are. I'm doing the best I can. If I complained, I'd be an ingrate, and I am delighted to uh, to have you on for this conversation, which is it's it's a it's a terse uh, and tense conversation, but I, I want to have it anyway because, again, as I mentioned moments ago, uh, we all watched uh, this uh, this young brother uh, in front of the Israeli embassy. Uh, douse himself. Uh, the video, of course, been taken down. He he uh, kind of uh, streamed that thing live um, because he wanted people to see what he was doing. But it's uh, it's an extreme act. And before I get to what ap- what happened specifically in front of the Israeli embassy, I, I want to just give you some time to to educate me and the audience about the history of self immolation. Like, t- how far back does this go? And when we see it, obviously you can't. It's all, one of those things where you almost can't turn your eyes away because it's hard to imagine a human being setting himself or herself on fire, but give me the history of self-immolation. Well, the earliest that I have found any information about it is um, back way back in ancient India when widows often threw themselves on the funeral pyres of their husbands mm. so that they died in a kind of spiritual union with their husbands. In terms of self-immolation as a political protest, it first really came into our consciousness in this country when Buddhist monks in Vietnam set themselves on fire in protest, first of the French occupation of their country, but then uh, as well in protest of the war that our country was carrying out against them. And their protest uh, sparked several people in this country to um, self-immolate in reaction to that war. The first one was Alice Hers, a woman in Detroit who set herself on fire in early 1965. The one that I am most familiar with is Norman Morrison, who set himself on fire at the Pentagon on November 2nd, 1965, actually just about 40 feet away from Defense Secretary Robert McNamara's window Mm. as a way of protesting what we were doing in Vietnam. And specifically, he was so moved by the fact that people in villages, and particularly children, were being napalmed by our bombs. And he wanted to let the world know what it looks like to die by burning. 
he, until the very last moments, had his one-year-old daughter in his arms with him. And gratefully, he set her down before he set himself on fire. But he specifically wanted the world to know, we are bombing children in Vietnam. This is, we're burning them. This is what it looks like. Uh, and he hoped that it would move people to protest and for there to be a change in our policy in Vietnam. Mm. Um, I want to ask, and I will in a moment, whether or not um, uh, it did, in fact, uh, have any impact on the conversation about our engagement in Vietnam. I should mention that since you uh, raised the name of Norman Morrison, that uh, uh, our guest, Joyce Holiday is the co-author of a book called Held in the Light, Norman Morrison's Sacrifice for Peace and His Family's Journey of Healing. She wrote that book with Morrison's widow and Morrison Welsh, and so she knows what she speaks when she talks about uh, one of the earlier cases, uh, most notable cases of self-immolation in this country. And we should note that, uh, as, as I said earlier, this American serviceman did this at the Israeli embassy in this country. Um, this is an American uh, who is um, setting himself on fire as an act of protest. And so um, while she starts out reminding us about Indian culture and about the, the Buddhist monks, uh, during the era of Vietnam, there are Americans uh, who have um, engaged in this act of, of self-defiance uh, as well. So let me come back now to a few things I want to I want to probe, uh, George Holiday. Now that you've sort of set the frame for me, um, talk to me about the notion of sacrificing one's own life to save the life of others. Um, of course, we all know those of us who are Christians uh, know that that's what. Uh, that first century Palestinian Jew named Jesus did for all the rest of us, sacrifice his life for those who are believers, sacrificed his life for the lives of all the rest of us. That is that, that's at the epicenter. That is the that is the crux of Christology. No question about that. And yet there are people who are sort of uh, uh, emulating that sacrifice when they set themselves on fire, when they self immolate. So talk to me about this notion of sacrificing one's own life in hopes of saving the lives of others. Well, as you mentioned uh, at the beginning, and I've discovered this too, that I haven't been able to, I haven't read an article about Aaron Bushnell's sacrifice of himself at the Israeli embassy without there being a mention at the bottom about if you're thinking about suicide or if you're mentally imbalanced. And I would like to say that there's a very clear distinction between suicide and this kind of sacrifice. Mm. He, did, he did not take his life, he gave his life. Mm. And I think for those who want to put on people who take this kind of extreme act, that they are mentally unstable, who want to say, you know, how could someone in their right mind do something this dramatic? I think they would say back, how can someone in their right mind bomb and burn children in Vietnam? Mm. How can they bomb and starve children in Gaza? Aaron Bushnell acknowledged before he set himself on fire that it was an extreme act, but he spoke a truth when he said it was not as extreme as what the Palestinians are suffering. And I think that he had decided, and I think very carefully and in a totally right mind, that he was willing to give up his life in the hope that it would be a wake-up call and that, indeed, it would save many people's lives. You know, we, we don't call it suicide when so, soldiers, knowing that, that many of them will lose their lives, march off to war, mm. or when someone, say, throws himself on a grenade to save the lives 
of his buddies. <laughs> and I think that Norman Morrison and Aaron Bushnell and others who have taken this step also believed that they were sacrificing their own lives to save the lives of many others, and it was a price for waging peace that they were willing to pay. People do a lot waging war and are willing to give up their lives for war, and I think they are just similarly saying they are willing to give up their lives for peace. Mm. Um, what you just said is a mouthful, and it was it was powerful, and uh, and let me just say vexing um, to consider the way you just framed that. That when soldiers uh, go off to war, and they have to know there's a good chance, um, certainly a chance they will not return home, um, or when soldiers jump uh, on a grenade to save the life of their their buddy, uh, their fellow soldier. Nobody calls that suicide. We call that sacrifice. And not only do we call it sacrifice, we honor them for that. People end up getting the purple right. heart. We give them the purple right. heart for, for that kind of sacrifice. We don't call it suicide. But in this instance, Aaron Bushnell, uh, to George Holiday's point, uh, self-immolates. And we want to put it in the frame of mental illness and suicide, not in the form or in the frame of an extreme tactic uh, in, as I said earlier, a campaign for peace. Which leads me to ask this, because here, here is the distinction. If I'm playing devil's advocate, and I will for a moment, um, Aaron Bushnell intentionally set himself on fire, self-immolated, knowing that he was going to die. Uh, when soldiers go off to war, they hope to be victorious. They hope to come back home. Um, they don't go there intending to kill themselves. They're not engaging uh, uh, on behalf of this country because they want to die. Uh, it is obviously likely. It's always possible. But they're not intending to take their own lives. That distinction would make a difference for some people, Joyce Holliday. Yes, I, I think you're right. But I think that every soldier who goes off is willing to die mm -hmm. and feels that if they died, it's a sacrifice that would be worth it. It's a cause that they believe in. And I think that in Aaron Bushnell's case, he realized that what the United States is doing in its support of Israel with weapons and military aid is supporting Israel's genocide against Gaza. And there are many experts who have called it genocide. The International Court of Justice is talking now about the fact that it's genocide. And I think that he believed that he had to do something extreme. He was no longer willing to participate in that as part of the U.S. Air Force. And acknowledged it was extreme, but felt that that's what it was going to take for him to live out of his conscience and his unwillingness to be complicit in that, and in the hope that it would get people talking, which it has done. I mean, mm -hmm. here we are. Yeah, I was about to ask. I was about to ask whether or not these acts actually work, and I, I I pulled myself back from asking that question and said, "Tavis, you're talking about it on national radio with Joyce Holiday. <laughs> exactly. So clearly, it worked. It got people's attention. We are talking about this act, uh, this extreme tactic, uh, in the context of what's happening in the Middle East. And uh, I doubt very, very highly. Uh, I doubt very sincerely that his act of self-immolation got Joe Biden to move in the last 36 hours or so to say he expects a ceasefire in the next week. Uh, I'm not sure it was connected to Aaron Bushnell's act, but certainly um, a movement is happening. 
uh, taking place, we believe, and we shall see what happens in the next week or so. Um, but we're talking about it. And so to that extent, it does make a difference, and it, it, it pushed the envelope, so to speak. Um, help me out. Help well, me out. Let me just sure, say that, sure. I, you know, I think that when we talk about did it work, like there's not really a way to gauge whether or not it worked. Sure. I think one thing that I would say is that in the case of Norman Morrison, Robert McNamara wrote in his memoir, in retrospect, that Norman Morrison's self-immolation outside his window was one of the most important things in turning him against the war. Mm. And he apologized for U.S. policy in, in Vietnam in his memoir. Now, the war raged on for another 10 years. So um, it, it, in that sense, it didn't immediately stop it, just like the hope for a ceasefire in Gaza, Gaza probably isn't going to immediately happen because of something that Aaron Bushnell did. But it planted seeds of doubt in Robert McNamara, and there are unclassified documents now that show that he was trying to convince Lyndon Johnson to stop the bombing in Vietnam. And one of the main things that moved him to do that was what Norman Morrison did. Mm-hmm. And I would also, I just would also like to say that his widow, Anne Morrison Welsh, who I worked with on her memoir, and it is a very compelling and courageous uh, journey that she was on of grappling with her grief and then finding her way to forgiveness. She found out that her husband had self-immolated through a Newsweek reporter. She did not know that he was going to do this. So her story is very powerful and very compelling. And it took her a long time, but in April 1999, she went to Vietnam and she was overwhelmed with the impact that it had there Mm -hmm. because she, she had no idea. Person after person came up to her with tears streaming down their face saying, I couldn't believe that there was an American who believed that our lives are as important as American lives. And, you know, people considered her, a, Norman, a hero and a saint. And the poet laureate of North Vietnam wrote a poem about Emily, the one-year-old daughter that Norman had had in his hands. And every child, school child in Vietnam, memorized that poem. And when they went to Vietnam, everyone knew who they were. And Anne was so moved to see that... Though it didn't, she wasn't sure that Norman's sacrifice had had any impact here. It had a huge impact among the people of Vietnam. They said to her often, "He will live forever in our hearts." Hmm. That's a, that, that's a powerful story. I'm glad to uh, you you share that. Um, when we think of Robert McNamara, and for those who don't know the name Robert McNamara, we kind of jumped into that. He was, of course, the Defense Secretary uh, during the war in Vietnam, and um, he. Uh, weighs that campaign for years, and ultimately, uh, as uh, Joyce Holiday says, uh, in the writing of his memoir, he reflected on that moment and realized he'd made a huge mistake. Of course, there were other people like Martin Luther King Jr., who were out really early on this, uh, saying that this was a huge mistake and that America would regret this. He said, America, you have become the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today. Those are the words that uh, Dr. King spoke at the Riverside Church on the Upper West Side in Manhattan, when I mean, he gave that Beyond Vietnam speech, and that speech put a target on his back. He gives that speech April 4, 1967, and they kill him one year to the day, almost to the very hour. One year later, April 4, 68, they kill him. 
But that speech got uh, Martin in a lot of trouble and had the whole world, basically the whole country, sort of turn against him for coming out so aggressively and so forcefully against the war in Vietnam. Well, fast forward some years and Robert McNamara, who waged that war, as uh, George Holliday said earlier, eventually in his memoir apologized and said he'd made a mistake. But he writes in that book that it was Norman Morrison's self-immolation just outside his office. Uh, that uh, made him rethink and got his attention. And so this uh, this extreme act uh, of Aaron Bushnell just days ago in front of the Israeli embassy has kicked up a great conversation, and I've got a great uh, deal more questions to ask of Joyce Holiday when we come forward talking about self-immolation uh, as an act of protest for peace. One of the questions I want to ask you right quick is how something that many see as so violent can advance a conversation about peace. Isn't that oxymoronic? More to go with George Holiday when we come forward on Tavis Smile. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically black. Black, black, black. You're tapped into Tavis Smile. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smile. Back to more of this rich dialogue with Joyce Holiday, who is an author and pastor, uh, as we continue our dialogue about um, self immolation as an extreme act of protest in the campaign for peace. She's the co author of the book, Held in the Light. Norman Morrison's sacrifice for peace and his family's journey of healing. Uh, Norman Morrison was uh, the man who set himself on fire, self-immolated uh, after sitting down his one-year-old baby, uh, uh, self-immolated right outside the office of Robert McNamara, who uh, was then Secretary of Defense Department during um, uh, the war in Vietnam. And um, the impact that Norman Morrison's sacrifice had on Robert McNamara is detailed in McNamara's memoir, uh, uh, where he apologizes for being the defense secretary and engaging us, involving us in this uh, war in Vietnam where uh, too many precious lives were lost, not just American soldiers, but indeed the people uh, of uh, uh, Vietnam, including too many women and children. And so here we are now uh, in 2024, and Aaron Bushnell uh, self-immolates outside the Israeli embassy, uh, and uh, we're talking about that. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about, uh, Joyce Holiday, right quick here, is the fact that uh, he was an active military officer. And that part of the story, I think, has um, been head-scratching for some people. Um, how did you, how do you read the fact that Aaron Bushnell uh, was in the U.S. military, in the Air Force, and decided to do this? Well, I think that for me that brings a particular power to it because he was well aware of the U.S. support of Israel in its total siege of Gaza, which is the words of the Israeli defense minister. They're carrying out a total siege of Gaza. 30,000 people dead that we know of, many more under the rubble, thousands more wounded people are starving, they've been cornered, and Israel is gearing up now to assault the city of Rafa, where they told people to go, where they would be safe. So I think that because of his involvement in the military, Aaron Bushnell knew what was going on. He knew that it is genocide, that the goal of this is the obliteration of an entire people. And he knew that as an active military person, he was complicit in it. Even if he didn't drop a bomb, even if he wasn't in Gaza. And I might say we're all complicit in it. If we pay our taxes, 
uh, some of that tax money goes to support Israel in this war. And so I think in the most powerful way that he could, he was saying, I know what's going on. I no longer will participate it. And this is the way to know to get out of it in a way that will maybe let others force others to look at their own complicity in what's going on. I'm so grateful for all the protests that are going on and all the calls for a ceasefire all over this country and the world. And I'm particularly moved by the fact that a lot of that is being carried out by Jewish Voice for Peace. There are Jews in this country who are leading some of the protest against what Israel is doing against Gaza. And I think that Aaron Bushnell is one piece of that. It was violent, mm -hmm. as you said. It's not something that I would ever do. And let me be clear, I'm not here advocating it or encouraging anyone else to do it. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it's very, very important that we look deeply as to why he did it mm -hmm. and what that particular act was pointing to. Yep, I, because otherwise, we're not going to look at our own complicity. No, I hear your point. I want to ask you in a moment about the, the violent nature of this act as juxtaposed against it being uh, a statement about why we need peace uh, in the world. We'll come to that in just a second. There's some breaking news here that I need to share with you. Mitch McConnell, uh, who you all know, of course, as the Senate Republican leader, has announced, uh, having turned 82 last week, that he will step down as a uh, Republican leader in the Senate. Uh, he is the longest-serving Senate leader in history, uh, who has uh, maintained his power in the face of dramatic convulsions in his own party uh, for almost two decades now, announcing that he will step down from his post in November. Uh, I, I quote from him, one of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. So I stand before you today to say that this will be my last term as Republican leader of the Senate. Close quote. Those words uttered by Mitch McConnell on the floor of the U.S. Senate. And so Mitch McConnell will step down as Senate Republican leader in November after a record run in the job. Breaking news there out of Washington and wanted to share that with you uh, post haste. Now back to this point about the violent nature of this self-immolation act that we uh, saw Aaron Bushnell um, uh, uh, perform in front of the Israeli embassy. How do you, how do how do I square such a violent act uh, in an effort to get us to focus on peace, George Holiday? Well, it 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 was violent in one sense of looking at it, uh, but in his own words, even though it was extreme, he was pointing to how extreme the situation is for Palestinians. War is violent. War is much more violent than what, what he did. Uh, and I honestly am quite struck as I watched the video, and I watched it a few times, the peacefulness with which he did what he did, mm. the clarity that he had, the certainty that he had, and the fact that it was an act of conscience, it was a self-chosen sacrifice, and so one way of looking at it is that it was violent, but another way of looking at it, and it was the way that he looked at it, was to do what he did might, in fact, end a lot of violence for other people. Mm -hmm. 
Um, when we come forward, I want I want to get your take uh, as an author and a pastor. I'm, I'm tapping into the latter now, uh, the, the 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 pastor's robe that you that you wear. We live in a world, and certainly in a country, where above all else, above all else, we value life. Nobody wants to die. You made a private point earlier that um, there's a distinct difference between um, uh, somebody taking your life and someone giving their life. Uh, Aaron Bushnell gave his life. And it's hard for, I think, many of us to wrap our brains around it because, again, we live in a culture where, above all else, we value life. Everybody wants to live. We're trying to, I mean, look at the industry uh, of all the products that help you live longer. I mean, everybody wants to live a long life until we get to a point where we're incapacitated. And then maybe we say, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to be here in this position. I don't want to be lying here, uh, laying here like this. Uh, but all things considered, everybody wants to live. We value life above everything else. And I'm curious as to how one even comes to a decision uh, in that frame to give his or her own life. Uh, I want to tell a quick story about an interview I had, a uh, conversation I had um, uh, uh, some time ago on this program with a guy named Kevin Hines who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge uh, back in 2000 and survived. The story of how he survived, including uh, sea lions and the Coast Guard. and It's just an amazing story of his survival uh, of that jump uh, off the Golden Gate Bridge. But he's been... Uh, are all around the world talking about this issue since he survived. There's a particular part of that story of his survival, and that was a suicide attempt. Uh, Aaron Bushnell's uh, 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 taking of his life was a sacrifice. I get the distinction, but I want to weave these two things together when we come forward. George Holiday on Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Tavis Smiley continues when we come forward. forward. Sounds different, huh? This, this is Tavis Smiley. There's no way to know this, Joyce Holiday, but I want to uh, just tap into your um, expertise on this. Well, let me let me hold that for a second. I, I want to start with uh, with this. Um, we value life in this country above all else. Uh, what say you about the process that one uh, goes through to decide that one wants to sacrifice their life? That part is hard for us to wrap our brains around, since we all want to live and nobody wants to die. Yes, and I don't think that's a question that I can answer. I, I don't know what kind of process Aaron Bushnell went through or Norman Morrison went through. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, that, all that I know, that in Norman's case, it was done very prayerfully mm-hmm. uh, and very intentionally, and I don't know anything about the faith of Aaron Bushnell, but it was clearly done very intentionally on his part, too. Mm-hmm. And I... To go back to what you were saying um, before the break about the difference between the suicide and the sacrifice, I do not want to judge people who commit suicide any more than I want to judge people who self-immolate. I mm-hmm. think that that calls for compassion, not judgment. Mm-hmm. But in my dealings with people who have been in a place where they were considering taking their own life, at the heart of all of those conversations was despair mm. and a sense that they had no hope for living in this world and that taking their lives would bring them a sense of relief. In the case of Norman and Aaron and people who come to a decision to sacrifice their lives, 
I think it very much comes out of a place of hope mm. that may not seem rational to us. But when I watch Aaron Bushnell walking up to the gate at the embassy and taking out the kerosene and pouring on himself and lighting his lighter, and even as he, you know, as he spoke before he got there, I didn't hear any despair in him mm. at all. Mm-hmm. I... I believe he did it out of hope, and that his hope was that this would be a wake-up call, that this would let people look at the details to know how desperate things are in Gaza, that he would feel pushed to take his own life to try to make a statement. And so his question to us is, what are we going to do? Yeah. We may not set ourselves on fire, but what are we going to do to end our complicity in what is happening in Gaza? It's a powerful uh, and persuasive, persuasive and poignant question uh, that we all have to wrestle with. Uh, and that, uh, that story, that response that you just offered takes me straight to the story by Kevin Hines, who I interviewed um, some years ago after he survived a jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. I want to juxtapose what Kevin did with what Aaron did in our remaining moments with Joyce Holiday when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. I don't have too much time to get into the details of all this, but um, I implore you to Google the name Kevin Hines and read the backstory um, to his jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, of course, in the year 2000, and how he was rescued by some sea lions who kept him uh, above water until the Coast Guard arrived, and how a woman standing there when he jumped uh, had a brother who worked in the Coast Guard, who she called immediately. He just happened to be working miles away uh, in the Coast Guard that day and rushed to the scene while the sea lions held Kevin Hines up in the water. Uh, And he broke so many bones in his body. And uh, the only way really to survive was to see a specialist when he got into the hospital, uh, a specialist uh, in the the, the specific kind of surgery he needed to save his life. Uh, As God would have it, it just so happened that that surgeon, the foremost surgeon in the world, I believe, was based in Boston. But he happened that day to be in San Francisco. Uh, and just happened to be at that hospital in San Francisco when they brought Kevin Hines in. Uh, uh, that interview uh, we had on our program, it should be in our podcast uh, profile somewhere. But if you can get your hands on that Kevin Hines conversation about how his life was spared after jumping off that bridge, it's an amazing, amazing story. I share that because uh, I'm, I'm, I was struck, Joyce Holiday, by your sense, and I saw the same thing, that Aaron Bushnell seems so calm when he self-immolated in front of the Israeli embassy, he was clear uh, in his decision, clear in his conscience, clear in his choice to to to, to engage in this extreme tactic uh, to uh, to save the lives of others, to draw our attention to what's happening in the Middle East, uh, to talk about peace. Kevin Hines told me in that conversation that he'd never talked to a survivor um, of a suicide attempt who did not regret it the moment that they did it. Kevin told me the minute he jumped off that bridge, as as, as despairing as he was, the minute that he jumped, he regretted that he jumped. I did not get the sense, uh, nor did you, watching that video of Aaron Bushnell self-immolate outside that embassy uh, in D.C., that he regretted what he did. I do not know. We will never know. But it's an interesting juxtaposition, is it not? 
yes, it is. Yeah. I think that uh, you are absolutely right that he was, Aaron was calm. He knew what he was doing. And I hope that we won't let his sacrifice be in vain, but that, in fact, we will keep talking and protesting and raising our voices and try to bring some peace into the world, especially for the people of Gaza. Uh, we'll leave it on that note. Can't do much better than that. Uh, Joyce Holiday. we thank you for your work, for your witness, for sharing your insights in this hour. She is the co-author of the book Held in the Light, Norman Morrison's Sacrifice for Peace and His Family's Journey of Healing. In case you've just tuned in, Norm, Norman Morrison, uh, self-immolated outside the office of Robert McNamara uh, as he was Defense Secretary waging this war in Vietnam. He later apologized for that and said it was the self-immolation of Norman Morrison that made him start to rethink whether we were on the wrong track uh, under his leadership uh, engaging in this war in Vietnam. Here comes Aaron Bush now all these years later uh, with uh, an extreme act of self-sacrifice that we are talking about, uh, hopefully, as Joyce said, in the context of peace uh, in the globe, in the world. Joyce, thank you for your time. Good to have you on. All the best to you. Thank you very much. My great delight to have you. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.